All right. You know, the events of the last uh, two Wednesdays have um, had an impact on our country. And uh, I don't know about you, but they've caused me to stop and think and pray for our nation. Pray for my life. Pray for the ministry of this church, our future. Two Wednesdays ago, it was Valentine's Day, and 17 people lost their lives at a Florida high school. There's just been a lot of talk, hasn't there, since that occurred? A lot of talk about the shooting, and uh, some people are saying, we just need to get rid of all this violence, and the only way to do that is to get rid of all the guns, and uh, we just need to outlaw them all. Others have said we need to improve our mental health system and background checks, and we need to strengthen communication in law enforcement, we need to change protocols in dealing with mental illness, and In many ways, we're a culture that is grasping at straws, folks, right? We try to deal with these problems and we, we face these issues and we want to come up with non-God answers. <laughs> and the problems we have as a nation are spiritual, aren't they? And we're, we're, we're tinkering around the edges when we talk about things like gun control, mental health, and background checks. And because the sickness that permeates our culture is this uh, darkness that, that, that is created by the vacuum of our turning our hearts to God and only Jesus... <laughs> can cure what ails us, folks. I am, I'm, I'm convinced. There was a... This past Wednesday, one week later, Billy Graham dies. You know, the man who brought this life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ to, to more people than any in history, Right? Revered by world leaders, friends, uh, the friend of presidents, a man of conviction, eternal hope. In many ways, the preacher that other preachers want to be like. (laughs) Billy Graham is just one man, and I, I know he would say that if he were here today, but in the eyes of so many, he represents a time in American history when the gospel mattered. And people flocked to hear about the claims of Jesus Christ. And people would flock and at the end of those messages and be broken over their sin. At a time when reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ was not marginalized, but was center stage. It was even on the television, on the broadcast networks. Sometimes interrupting my favorite shows. (laughs) But there he is again. (laughs) Have you ever responded to something in a way that surprised yourself? You heard news and your response was, where did that come from? I just broke down 
and wept. I thought about that. I didn't know Billy Graham. <laughs> I never met him. I went to one of his crusades. I thought about that. I think may- maybe... Okay, this isn't the best theology, but here it comes. <laughs> maybe there is a distant thought in the far reaches of my mind that thought that as long as Billy was alive, Perhaps the hand of God's wrath could be held back. I wonder about our future. Reminds me of this Benjamin Franklin quote of over 200 years ago. Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious... They have more need of masters. I don't know, do you see this playing out in our day? Perhaps as a country we become less capable of freedom and therefore ideas are being proposed to insert more government control because we need more masters. (laughs) But I want you to know today, I am optimistic about the future. Amen? Because we have a hope. His name is Jesus. And when people come to him with the conviction of wanting him and his will to prevail, and we cry out to him, and we don't turn to these policies or laws to fix our problem, but we turn to the one true God. And he hears our prayers and he brings healing to our land. And when people are hungry for a move of God, that they are willing to adjust their lives to the call of God. There is hope. There is light that shines in the dark and declining culture. You know, we're in a series of messages about the vision of our church here at Grace Bible Church. Three words we use a lot, worship, connect, and serve. Worship a couple of weeks ago, our relationship with God through Christ Jesus. It's expressed in this transformed life, lived in this constant moment by moment dependence upon Him. He is our life. He is our power. He is our living hope. Connect the love that we have for one another. I said this last week and I'm going to say it again because I've been thinking about it all week. The church is not a well-oiled ministry-producing machine. That's right. But a group of people connected in loving relationships, committed to the spiritual growth of each other. That's church. So we love God in worship, we love each other and connect, and now we look at how we love people in our community by being servants. And if we're going to turn the tide of the culture, the church has to be seen as influential for good. We must deepen our conviction to the love that we have, the acceptance, the kindness that we show to our communities. You know, there's a scene from the life of Jesus, and sometimes when I think of 
serving. I'm drawn back to this passage in John, I mean in Matthew 20. Because sometimes there is a block to our service. There's something that that just kind of stands in the way of our service. And, And there are things that when we serve, it dismantles things which are not of God. He's explaining how his disciples will be different compared to the world and the way it behaves. And the context here is, before I read this, it's important to understand the context because it makes the scripture just really stand out for what it is. Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. They're entering that holy week. It's right at the cusp of Palm Sunday. He knows his death is less than probably 10 days away. He takes his disciples aside He tells them when they arrive in Jerusalem, he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests, to the scribes. He's going to be tried. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be scourged. And he's going to be crucified. And he says, yet on the third day, I will rise again. Now, first off, as a disciple... You've been walking with him for three years. You've seen all the ministry... It's coming down to crunch time. <laughs> Can you imagine what you would have been feeling as all of this has just been shared about the impending next few days? But just look at what happens. Matthew twenty twenty. Then the mother, oh, thank goodness for mothers, of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, the three of them standing there, bowing down and making a request of Jesus. He said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Most likely turning to the two young men. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? What did they say to him? No problem, Jesus. We are able. He said to them, Oh, my cup you shall drink. Oh, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Hearing this, the ten others became indignant with the two brothers. Well, of course they did, right? And Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way. Among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. My first reaction is. What was mom thinking? I mean, right? 
he's just told them that I'm, I'm, we're going to enter Jerusalem. They're going to scourge me and mock me and beat me and crucify me. And we get this. I want to put this point in as strong of words as I possibly can. So here's my point. Pride is the disgusting, self-debilitating enemy of God. Too much. I don't think so. I mean, first of all, it's mommy, right? It's the mommy who asks. Come on, men, stand up. Man. We understand from the passage and in Mark's account of the same scene, we understand that this, this is not just mommy's idea. <laughs> They're all in this together. And so, um, we're going to expose pride this morning in, in about the next 10 minutes. Is that okay? There isn't any of it in the room, is there? Right? Yeah, so this is just kind of remedial for us, Right? First of all, pride is focused on self-promotion. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be prominent in the new kingdom. There was a feeling that they had done well throughout the ministry period. There was probably a little comparison, right? We've worked a little bit harder than the other ten, the slackers, you know. I mean, it should give us pause to think how we self-promote. Do we do that? Do we ever find a way to tell stories that put us in a good light? To make sure that they're communicated effectively? Yeah. Pride is focused on self-achievement. It's somewhat the same, but not quite. After all we've done for you, Jesus, there's got to be a payoff for our loyalty and our hard work. You know, we get quite uh, refined. We get very good at getting our achievements recognized, don't we? I mean, we have even developed socially acceptable techniques that we have perfected so that it, we come off looking somewhat surprised that people are noticing all the wonderful things we've done. It's kind of like a kid in, in school when the tests are coming back and their test comes back and it's put on their desk and there's a big fat 100% on the top of it, right? And they're very slow about putting it away, right? They just kind of leave it out there. And if that's not enough, what do they do after class? You've done it. You know exactly what I'm going to say. They go to their friends and they don't say, I got 100%, do they? No, that would be much too haughty. No, much too self-centered. What do they do? What did you get on the test? Right? Because they know the next question is,
In the passage, Jesus asks them if they are willing to drink the cup. They have no idea what that means. He does. And they immediately reply with all boldness that pride can produce. We are able, Jesus. Pride is focused on self-sufficiency, isn't it? We can do it. It's the essence of pride. It's believing that apart from my dependence on Christ, I can be successful. I can handle this situation. I can fix this relationship. I have what it takes. And when we begin to even think that way, we begin to go down that track, what are we setting ourselves up for? Uh, Proverbs 16, 18, we all have it memorized, right? Pride goeth before the fall. So when we face temptation, Lord, I'm submitting to you. I can't handle this. If, if, I, if I take this on, it's going to be sin. So Lord, I submit to your power. I embrace my weakness in this temptation. There's a relationship fracture. Lord, I don't know what to do. I submit to you, Lord, in this relationship, and I pray that you would come and give me the words to say, give me the, the, the moments to be quiet. Would you guide me? Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in what? Weakness. We also learn this about pride in the passage. Pride is focused on other people's pride. <laughs> okay, put yourself in the circle. You're one of the ten who didn't do this audacious thing, right? Of course you're indignant over the brazen, prideful demonstration of these two disciples. And of course, your indignation occurs after Jesus has kind of given them the reprimand, right? And you're going, that's right, Jesus, let them have it. Let them have it. They deserve it. You know, it kind of reminds me of kids playing on a playground, right? And everyone is thinking about doing something their parents would not approve of, but only a couple of them, a couple of them actually have the guts to go through it, through with it, and the parents find out. The others who didn't have the nerve to do the rebellious act, what do they do? I can't believe they did that. I mean, does any of this hit a little close to home? Pride, what do we do about it? It's debilitating. It's an enemy of God. It's, we don't like it when we see it in ourselves. Well, he starts by exposing the, way, uh, the world's way of doing things. And uh, this is where they gain, uh, people gain authority. They work, they, work, they work their way up the corporate ladder or the political system and the culture because they want to be able to tell other people what to do. They want to lord it over, it says. 
I want, I want you to know that I'm above you, and I want, to know that I'm on a, I want you to know I'm on a different level than you, and uh, I'm exempt from some of the requirements that are for you. And it's because they're more powerful, they think, and they're more prestigious, and they're more, they're just, well, they just think they're more, right? <laughs> and after explaining this, and he's saying this is the way that the other people, the, the world works, I can just see Jesus looking his disciples in the eye and he says, it is not this way among you. And then he gives us some descriptions of what a servant is. The points I would make about serving are these. Serving is the antidote to pride. Jesus is speaking of the cup that he's going to drink, which was the giving of his life on behalf of others, the ultimate act of service. Serving the needs of others at great personal sacrifice. I mean, I think of people who would save their money and instead of taking a nice vacation or buying a new car, they they buy expensive airline tickets to go to a place like Haiti or Tanzania and... uh, And perhaps put up with less than ideal living conditions and eat food they may not like in order to take care of babies who might have been left in a dumpster somewhere and rescued. Or work all day and just get their muscles tired because they're building some project that the ministry there needs. And uh, it's not with any recognition or no reward or no appreciation sometimes and it's Folks, it's just hard to be sacrificially pouring out your life for others and prideful all at the same time. There's something about it that just drains the, the me-ism out of us. We see the desperate situations that people around the world live in. And we think about our situation Jesus, in the passage, he tells his disciples how to be great in his kingdom. Aren't you glad that Jesus has given us a pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God? I mean, think about it for a moment. Jesus saying, it's okay to want to be great in the kingdom. He wants you to think that way. He wants you to think, I want to be great in God's kingdom. It's not prideful to want to be great. But how to get there biblically, is different than the way the world would think of greatness. Of course, serving is the path to greatness. Ever known someone who was just great in God's kingdom? By this definition? Most likely you would describe them as someone quick to serve, looking for ways to help others and and just give and pour out their lives for other people. You like them. Because they're not concerned about getting recognition or getting their opinion heard or adopted. And they cherish their place of weakness so that the power of God can just live through them. They're just a life poured out, genuinely given for others. I want you to know, I'm declaring today, I want you to know that I know a lot of great kingdom of God people. (laughs) 
And many are sitting in this room right now. Amen. It's okay to give yourself an amen. That's right. People who just think different about their lives. They see needs, and they see needs that people have, and uh, they just say, God, how can you use me? And uh, I get a, kind of a front row seat sometimes where some people will hear of a need over there, and then money just kind of comes into the church and says, can you quietly and anonymously meet that need with this bunch of money? I said, I'd love to. This, this family needs something that's tangible or they're, they're moving or something. And these people go, I, you know, I'd like to be able to help over there. How can I help? And often it's not, how does this affect me and my resources and my schedule? It's just, where can I serve? You can tell it's just the way they think. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm not going to use the names of the servants because they wouldn't want it, because why? They're <laughs> servants. A few weeks ago, my daughter Haley moved from her third floor apartment to another complex on the second floor. Dad, I kept asking her if she could get some help. After all, I'm not as young as I used to be. Not even going there today, gosh. You know what her answer to me was when I said, could you find some young man to help me? I'll try. The day before, she says, Dad, I got one guy to help you. I'm thinking, this is going to be a long day. A long day. Three stories down, two stories up. Until a couple of guys just said, you know, let's go do this. A couple of guys from this church drove to South Austin, carried your stuff down three floors, up two. I keep saying that, I know, but down three, up two. And we had fun. Amen. Servants. I say kingdom of God, greatness. Jesus says, if you want to be first, you must be the slave. It's kind of an upside down way of looking at it, right? But that's the way the kingdom operates, right? The person who was first, the implication is this is the one with the influence. This is the one with the most influence. And I thought about that. Serving is the access to influence, isn't it? If I serve you, if I meet your need, if I bring you groceries when you're hungry, if I sit with you while you grieve, if I serve you, there's, there's access that's given to listen to the message that I have for you. And Jesus, the greatest example, he went about day by day serving. He fed people, he healed them, he listened to them, and they would listen to him. 
I think of the encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan. He should have never been talking to her as a Jew. Not only the racial differences, but he knew that she had been married five times and she was living with someone else. And yet he talks to her and he gives her hope. And he says, if you drink from this water, you're never going to thirst. And let me tell you, you're thirsty. You're spiritually dry. She listens. Because in the some way in the which he talked to her, the truth that came and the, the, the grace that came, she knew he cared to meet her at her point of need. And I hope you've seen over the last few weeks as we've talked about worship, connect, and serve that we've, uh, we've talked about a heart conviction about these three things. It's not been my goal to come to you and say in worship, you know, you need to come to church more often. <laughs> you need to do more worship activities. My prayer has been to see a growing heart of worship. This whole living life sacrificially where I'm yours, God. I worship you. I am the worshiper. <laughs> Instead of trying to get more people in a connect group, you all need to sign up. I'd much rather have a genuine growing heart for the love of God's people within the body of Christ. And today, instead of trying to enlist more people for serve activities, it's just to say we have to have this deep conviction that we want to be great in the kingdom of God, and that means that we're the servant of all. Worship, connect, and serve. Any vision starts just with the right heart, the conviction of heart. This is not duty that we do things in, in church. It's, there's this heart conviction that motivates, compels us. Because if we're doing things out of duty or rote or routine, there's no, there's no beauty in that. We, it, we, it's just lost on us. But when our hearts are hungry for the living God in His presence, worship just happens. It just pours out of us. When we have this genuine life of Christ spilling out of our lives, there's this love that we have for our brothers and sisters and a deep expression of Christian love. And we look for ways to be together and connect and live life together. And the life of Christ that flows through us, if the life of Christ is going to flow through us, we're going to live that way that He lived. He's just going to continually open our eyes to the need around us. Compel us. I make these declarations today, folks. We believe the church of Jesus Christ is still relevant in our culture today. Amen. We believe it. We believe that Satan does not have the final word. We believe that revival is possible. And we believe in the power and life of the risen Christ, who lives in us and through us. <laughs> Amen. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful to be a part of a people, a body who understands these things and takes these things as deep into their heart as they think about them, as they ponder them. It's not just activities that we do or events that we have. There is this connection that we have with you that is so vibrant and so real that is compelling the activities that we participate in. Because, Father, we all know that we can participate in dead connect groups. (laughs) We all know that we can participate in lifeless serve projects. And so, Father, it's, it's not about activity. It's about the deep conviction that grows within us that pride is that which we would like to purge from our midst and that pride in my life is defeated when I get eyes off me and out there upon you, upon my brothers and sisters, and upon the needs of the world around me. It drives us to our knees to pray. It brings about your will and your guidance into our lives. And uh, we declare our faith in you. In Christ's name, amen.